Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com and hosted at JitteryMonkey.com, one of the uh, Jittery Monkey podcasts, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. Anyway, uh, my name is Greg Mahochko, and joining me, uh, as always, is Hoss Reuter. Hoss, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'll tell you what, people will uh, lament and complain about beating Purdue, maybe by the way that Nebraska beat Purdue and how it wasn't a 40-point domination. But uh, I'll, I'll take a win. I don't care. You know, it wasn't pretty, but Tanner Lee showed up to play in the second half and it showed, and I'll take a one-point win with 14 seconds left. Yeah, I mean, as, you know, Al Davis the Oakland Raiders, you say, just win, baby. I mean, by hook or crook, just get it done. When you watch that game, and and obviously there there was some, I don't know, uh, losses I guess suffered up front. That offensive line has been, you know, I, I like to use the phrase "much maligned" because it makes me sound smarter than I am. Um, but they they've been they've been on hard times. Uh, you're you're here. We go. Uh, we we uh, had a little fun uh, with some '80s wrestling uh, a week ago, and by. Listeners, I, I promise we're not going to go that deep again. But going, I'm sure you're familiar with the Dusty Rhodes Hard Times promo. Um, oh, of course. It seems like that that offensive line is, is, you know, they're under some hard times, man. They can't stay healthy and and they can't get any cohesiveness, cohesion. I guess is is it the shorter phrase of that or shorter turn of that. So, what's going on up front, big dog? Well, I mean. Anytime you lose your best offensive lineman, Michael Decker, and then, you know, your highest graded out offensive lineman, Tanner Farmer, you're bound to have problems. And it, you know, compacted also by the fact that Purdue's got some pretty good defensive talent on the defensive line, and Jalen Robinson and Lorenzo Neal Jr., who, I mean, I would probably trade a couple of Nebraska defenders straight up for, um, those two, Robinson and Neal. Those guys are game wreckers. They have been the past two, you know, uh, three meetings, 15, 16, and 17 now. And um, they're just, they've made it very difficult for us to run the football all through. You know, even go back to 2014 when neither of them were there, Nebraska struggled to run the ball on Purdue. What is it, and, and certainly let's talk about uh, these injuries first. Um, Michael Decker is a unique uh, case, and I know you were very high on him in in fall camps and in practices, but he was not the starting center at the beginning of the season. That was Cole Conrad, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if if my memory is shaky, uh, Decker got the opportunity uh, when Conrad got hurt, I believe. Like, did he did he just flat out beat him for the spot, or was there a, a slight injury involved that that helped? Michael Decker, you know, show off what he could do? Well, I, I think that uh, it was a little bit, you know, what's the term, inauspicious. A little in t- timely injury, perhaps? That, yeah, yeah. Um, it just, I don't know if it's like, you know, someone's allowed to, uh, you know, help someone save face, and you know, however that might be, whoever that might be. But I found it to be pretty timely. Personally, you know, I could be off base there, but you saw an immediate improvement against Rutgers when we, you know, went with Michael Decker. The line calls were crisp. He knew the alignments, you know, and how to make the proper adjustments for the offensive line. <laughs> Excuse me, that was a nice beer burp there. Well done. <laughs> and, you know, and then you saw it build. You know, he played really well against, you know, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and. He was going to, even if he wouldn't have gotten hurt against Purdue, 
He was going to struggle that day because Lorenzo Neal Jr. is just that good of a player. He's a game wrecker. So, you know, I don't know how much better the O-line would have been against Purdue had Decker not gotten hurt because uh, Neal was going to be there to affect the game regardless. And I don't want to I – don't, I don't say this to disparage the good – name of Cole Conrad but how big of a drop off is there and was Conrad the starter just because it, you know at the outset of the season just because he had a little bit more experience playing last year I mean it seems like it, it's a no-brainer based on you know what we saw in in the few games you know that the Decker was out there that he should have been the starter from day one it was it just it and and I'm not you know, I'm not asking you to speak for the coaches, but you know what? How how big of a drop off is there between Decker and Conrad? Well, I think um, it's a pretty sizable drop off because just as you saw the improvement from uh, Conrad in the Northern Illinois game to Decker in the Rutgers game, you saw that same drop off going the other direction on uh, Saturday against Purdue after Decker's injury. And it just is one of those things where I think Conrad started the year because he had that game experience uh, from playing right tackle in 2016. And these kind of, you know, live game reps, live situations account for something. So I kind of feel like it's a case of uh, that was the deciding factor over Decker, who up until that record or those snaps in the um, – Northern Illinois game that he got when Conrad, you know, got dinged a little bit. I don't think previous to that that Decker had seen any snaps in a live game situation. So I think they, you know, the staff erred on the side of caution, and um, ultimately, you know, a big part of that Northern Illinois game was the inability to get the line calls called out correctly. You know, identifying the block and then being able to go execute those blocks. So you know, it did have an adverse effect on our season and it may you know I don't want to throw Cole Conrad under the bus obviously but um, it'll be interesting going forward to see how you know if he's you know improved on the line calls and you know just overall center play would would you say that Decker's the best center that we've had in the last I mean how, how many years back do we have to go do you say before we had a center who was you know his equal, and I and I know that you know we we're only talking, you know, a handful of games. You know, you've got Rutgers, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and a portion of Purdue. So four and a half games, let's say, very small sample size. But based on what you've seen, and, and you know, lack of a better term, your specialty uh, is is you know that trench play that the guys down there in line. How far back do you would you go? based on what you've seen from Michael Decker that you can say, you know, this is, you know, he's as good as so-and-so. You know, uh, Justin Jackson, who was our starting center in 2012, uh, walk on from Firth Norris. He was, you know, he was pretty good. He was, he, he lacked a little bit in functional strength, but he was really athletic. We were able to pull him, you know, on some sweet plays. But I think you'd have to go back to probably a guy like Jacob Hickman or even even predating Hickman, maybe, you know, uh, what's his name, Kurt Mann, you know, someone like that. Or, you know, Josh Sewell, who was a one-year starter in 2003. He was, a, he, was, he was actually a pretty decent center as well. And that is important, I think, for, you know, because Nebraska fans love their offensive linemen. So, you know, just I, I can't wait to put it in the write-up this week. We talk about centers, uh, you know, of your, you know, yesteryear, and, and we're going to have another 100 downloads just from that. <laughs> um, giving the people what they want. Giving the, Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're trying. Damn, people. You know, interact with us on social media. Let us know what you want, and we'll, we will acquiesce to your request. I'm not saying I'm desperate, but I'm also not saying I'm not, you know, so um, – I've done a thing or two for a thing or two, if you know what I'm saying. Um, defensively, were you 
as far as Nebraska's defense, were you surprised with Purdue's game plan and, and how they attacked the Blackshirt defense? Uh, yeah, I was. I was expecting them to, um, you know, air it out a little bit more and target, you know, their slot receive put their slot receivers on our outside linebackers. And I was surprised, you know, that they re- they rushed for right around 200 yards, and one of those was lining up in the old, wing, you know, the T formation, you know, to convert a third down, you know, inside deep inside the red zone. And I honestly, I did not see that kind of a game plan coming from Purdue, and especially Jeff Brom. But when you got a D line like that, it's going to take over games. I mean, you might as well give that if you know you're looking from a Purdue standpoint, you might as well give them the best chance, you know, to go win you the game. Which for a time there, when we were down 24 to 12 to them, it was looking like that plan was coming up aces. Yeah, for. Purdue. It's been a long time since we've seen a 260-pound running back. Uh, Purdue has one. I want to go back, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you've got to go back a decade or more. Texas A&M had a big old boy. I can't, uh, yeah. I can't remember his name to save my life. but Javorski Lane. Thank you. And, and, and as I, you know... It's well documented. I'm a Steelers fan, and I'm like, oh man, that's the second coming of Jerome Bettis, uh, you know. But you know his his pro career. I don't I don't think he ever had one or pursued one or I don't know if the injuries caught him or something. But yeah, so worship, you know, has that kind of frame. I mean, he's built like a brick shit house and didn't didn't the best way that I can describe it is is the way that I heard how Jerome Bettis ran back in the day, he was an ugly runner. Barry Sanders, a very finesse runner and and can do some great things on the field. Jerome Bettis will just try to run you over. And that's what the kind of runner that I saw from worship. Uh, he, he just wants to, you know, not afraid of the contact and, and will just go right at you and may the best man win. Yeah. Watching, watching him run kind of brought back some memories of, you know, early two thousands, college football the era of the oversized tailback right when you had like joel hall at kansas state and you know dan alexander to a lesser extent and guys like that you know i mean why wouldn't you want to have a guy like that on the roster at all times it's, you know, especially you know someone with good feet you know they can be a good blocker h-back type of player in addition to being a tailback and kind of get the best of both worlds here's a name that we don't talk about anymore he's he's you know phased not phased out he's you know i guess graduated or, or you know no longer with the program um imani cross i thought yeah. you know, when when they brought him in you know and, and all of his strength accolades and everything i i thought that he was going to be that guy and unfortunately he was but you always knew that when it was third and short or goal line situations that's the only time that he was ever brought in and you know, if you're the defense, okay, well, eight guys in the box. And and I thought that his I don't want I don't say career, but his progress, his his ability was stunted because they just used him as a situational back. Yeah, I kinda I, I felt the same, especially like his sophomore yeah, it was his sophomore year in twenty thirteen. He had a nice touchdown run against Michigan State, like a 51-yarder. Mm-hmm. That he showed some really nice speed. You know, it was out of a you know spread set on a little zone read, and you know he showed that he kind of had a place and kind of you know in an offense like that. But then his junior year, we rarely used him, and then you know his senior year it took all the way up until um, oh what was it the uh, Michigan State game. In 2015, we rushed for 98 yards, and it was he was pigeonholed. And I always thought, you know, boy, it'd be you know he didn't have the footwork, you know, of a finesse tailback. He was an ugly runner. Sure. He was, you know, he wasn't going to turn a corner on somebody. He was very much a downhill runner. But it would have been interesting to see what could happen if you were allowed to to really get into a lather. It seems like, and I know. 
oftentimes trends tend to, to you know flow down. So the NFL has gotten away from the big back. College uh, the game has gotten away from the big back, and everything is cyclical. It almost seems like you know with with the the type of athlete that worship is, you know that Imani Cross was, and and you know unfortunately we never really got to see his his zenith on uh, the field. I really feel like that time could be coming back as defenses get maybe faster but not as strong that a mm-hmm. big bruiser in the backfield could you know change the game I don't want to say change it again but you know reverse it a little bit where you know that that kind of becomes uh, uh, Lendale White I think was, was another one who you know a big sturdy back who not afraid to go you know toe to toe with you yeah, and I think that in terms of offensive scheme, too, I, it, you've seen it be cyclical in college football. Like in the Big 12, I think like four of the five top defenses in the Big 12 have gone to dime personnel exclusively as a base defense. And as more teams do that and the spread you know, continues to proliferate even more through college football, eventually you're going to see a team like, you know, for instance, Stanford go counterculture and they're going to get a big, you know, 230, 240, 250-pound tailback, you know, fullback and a tight end and offensive line, and they're just going to run right at these, you know, really light defenses. Mm-hmm. You know, they're starting guys at the mic position who, who are 213 pounds like TCU is. He's not going to be able to stand up to a, you know, polling guard or a, you know, fullback leading on an ISO play if a team's good devote themselves to lining up in dime, you know, defense, they might adjust to go into a more traditional, you know, structure eventually, but you're, if you're a run first, you know, under center 22 personnel team, you're going to get some runs in before they're able to adjust. And I like, uh, the, the term that you use there, counterculture. Uh, I, I know it's not likely to happen under, this current coaching staff, but I would like for Nebraska to kind of embrace that, especially in in a place like the Big Ten, uh, that is you know traditionally known for you know more of that that type of you know mm-hmm. big uh, I don't want to say musclehead. I don't want to you know insult anybody, but you know like the the bigger offensive and defensive linemen and and kind of let them let them battle it out and and. I, I think what we have seen, and we saw especially in the Wisconsin Wisconsin game, is you get a, a good, strong running back who's out there and get him some a little bit of momentum, and you're going to wear the defense down. And I think it, it, I think you know the history has shown, especially this season, and especially that Wisconsin game, that Nebraska is that defense that has been worn down. Um, I would love. I just want the tables to turn in, in Nebraska's favor, and uh, and for them to be doling out the punishment, for them to have that, uh, you know, go back to those days of the uh, 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 unstoppable force, you know, where you know it's coming, can you stop it, and and uh, you know, go back to the days where the defenses, you know, were not able to stop it. But I know, understand, you know, college football, there's a lot more parity and a lot more, you know, insanity these days than there were 30 years ago. I, I, I understand that. I just, you know, kid can dream. Well, it's interesting what you bring up about the big offensive lines and defensive lines in the Big Ten. Before we joined the conference, I remember always think, you know, you'd hear those things about the Big Ten. And I always used to think, ah, you know, O-lines and D-lines, they're big everywhere. You know, that's nature of the position. But then you get into the conference and you see, like, Wisconsin's offensive line, you know, Guys are all 320, mm-hmm. 330, you know. And I I can't even tell you the last time we had a guy up around 320 on the O-line. And, you know, I mean, the trade-off, some people might say, well, is, oh, well, you got guys who are 295, 300 who are nimble. Well, you and our guys are 295, 300. They're not exactly, you know, good functional movers. <laughs> you know? I, so, I mean, it's like, okay, what's Wisconsin doing? Okay, well, regardless of what offense we run, let's – you know, let's develop our O-line like that. But then also you see D-lines that you see a lot of, you know, you see it's not uncommon to see a 310-pound D-end in this conference. 
Lions. You know, you look at like uh, what was his name, Rashid Hageman from Minnesota a few years back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like I think he owes Taylor Martinez some money for stealing his lunch money. You know, <laughs> he's, that, he's that. a monster. I, yeah, he's just a monster. You know, and you see those guys, and you're like. It's kind of like the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick loves to keep a lot of guys on the roster who are in the 270-pound range because in the NFL, that kind of you know weight range is so versatile. Well, Nebraska, it's like, well, we need, we need people who are 6'5 and above who have the frame that we can put them into the weight room and they can pack on the weight to get up to, you know, anywhere from 315 to 330 on the offensive line and they're you know still maintain flexibility and agility and it's funny that you know as we talk about wisconsin because i really do think that wisconsin's you know model and and how they went about doing things was really nebraska's model of you know 20 25 years ago you know get get them big get them big build them bigger mow people over exactly you know, and but you know when I talk about when we're talking about you know this uh, way of development, it's not that I want to be Wisconsin's offense. What they do, I think you know, for as medieval as they are up front and just you know knocking people off the ball, that offense is just boring. It's effective, but it's not dynamic. You know, we're in a position as a program that we have the brand that we can attract you know, the skill position playmakers. Um, we need to be a little more dynamic, you know, to attract those guys, of course. But got to look at what they're doing in terms of front-line play and go from there. You bring up an interesting topic there because would you – and I'm not saying, like like you said, we shouldn't be Wisconsin. We should be Nebraska. But what got us to the dance – you know what? What? What style did we use? It wasn't dynamic. You know, Tom Osborne's offense was not dynamic, but it was effective. Well, and that's where you know it was a it was effective, and then he paired it with those you know skill position players at quarterback, you know, eye back, the receiver, tight end position, and it became explosive. You know, through having better talent than the opponent but you know we could run we could run the Baylor Art Bryles offense and you know in a way you would still develop you could still develop offensive linemen the same way that Wisconsin does and it would still work because at the end of the day you know O-line play is really you know still O-line play regardless of what system you're in and I, I understand that I, I'm just being the devil's advocate here um, no I got you you know, like like you said, uh, Wisconsin is effective, if not glamorous. Nebraska is trying to be dynamic, but to I'm, I'm going to be as uh, diplomatic as I, I can. Trying to be dynamic, but with mixed results. I, would you rather Would you rather have efficient and successful, and you know, kind of boring? Or you know, but but winning games. I mean, Wisconsin is still undefeated, you know. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not, listen, folks, I'm not saying we should be Wisconsin. We are Nebraska. I'm in Illinois. That's a, that's a sidebar. Uh, but uh, <laughs> y- you know, I mean, when no, you come, you're exact. You're exactly when, right. When it comes you're down exactly to scheme, right. I mean, just you, you got to do what what works. But at the same time, because we are, you know, on our, you know, in the last. 15 years we're on our fourth head coach and and you know knock on wood I don't know if we're going to see a fifth head coach in the next 12 you know months or or, you know whatever Um, but we have as much as I hate to say we have no identity anymore you know it's I don't know I mean we're we're not an option team anymore Um, this this pro style that that we're running this it's when it hey when it works it's beautiful tanner lee ran it pretty well you know last week especially in the second half and 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 that's a horrible segue to get where i want to go because i want to talk about tanner lee because he was so impressive um but nebraska football right now is in my opinion stuck in 
in a mode where it's you know st- it's looking for itself and and I don't know it's uh, it's like looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh, great Johnny Lee reference. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I agree totally with you about from the standpoint of if we were boring but effective, we're you know and winning games. That's all that needs to be, you know. That's all that needs to be said. You know, we're we're winning games. Um, I have you know a desire to see us be dynamic and win games, which I don't think are exclusive of one another. I don't. I, but I, I don't disagree there. Starting out to get to this that point, you know, to find ourselves again, um, it might take you know. Well, it does take you know. Development on both sides of the ball up front, offensive and defense line. If that's boring but effective and it wins games, I'll take it. I just remember how, it, and this is going to be, this is like such a phrase that my mom would say, maybe your mom too, I don't know, I don't, never met your mom. Uh, but I just remember you being so tickled that Nebraska was starting to pull linemen and you're like, God dang, I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, that, and that's that's fundamental stuff that every offensive lineman should know how to do. And yeah, I mean, it's we we pulled, I think, out of however many snaps we had total in 2016, we pulled like ran actual power or counter seven times. That's insane. Out of all of our offensive snaps, we ran counter seven times in one game this year mm-hmm. and it's just it's astounding and i mean last year in 2016 as an o-line guy as a husker fan it was unbearable you know going back and watching films it's like okay well you know especially for the articles because it's like okay yeah well i already wrote about inside zone there's <laughs> not much else i can say you know unless i'm starting to get into the higher order you know type stuff you know on hand placement and everything and so like yeah and then you got to have the ability to pull linemen because you know if you're going to be a zone-based running uh team it's a curveball you know when you block down and pull linemen you know and pry open the other side of the defense you know the dn and the linebacker so that inability to have that last year i mean that oh that just killed our offense. Was it an inability or was it the fact that they just didn't utilize? I mean, do you think that it was, and, and again, I know this is pure speculation, uh, rumor and innuendo, uh, some some other podcast might say, um, but do you think that it was something about the the guys on the field didn't have the ability or or the wherewithal, or do you think that it was the coaches – maybe not trusting the players? Do you think it was a combination of both? I mean, at some point you got to say, all right, you guys are D1, Big Ten, college football offensive linemen. You should know how to pull. You should be able to pull. Why Why out of all those offensive snaps last year did we only run counter seven times? Why didn't we pull guards more? Do you think that it was uh, the, the – players do you think it was the coaches do you think it was a combination uh it was definitely a personnel issue and we didn't most of those times that we ran power encounter those seven times came after gerald foster got back into the starting lineup against minnesota in the uh, 10th game of the season and before that i remember there was a play early in the year where we pulled uh, samuel hahn at left guard on a play action pass pulled him around to the right you know to in a kind of a slide protection scheme and I there's really no way to say this and <laughs> Sam Pond if you're listening I like no disrespect intended but the movement him pulling you know it was uh it wasn't fluid and fast like you know what it needs to be you know get out of your stance you know turn o- open the hips and run you know point towards the sideline it, it took too long to develop, and pulls have to happen fast if you're going to sure. take advantage of DN flying upfield or you know staying out wide, to, you know hedge against the perimeter run, and so they they just didn't really 
you know, they didn't trust either guard to pull because as good of a, you know, base blocker as Tanner Farmer is, he's not exactly the best polar and he struggles, you know, blocking linebackers because of his feet, you know, he doesn't have real good footwork. And uh, other than that, I mean, the only times we pulled linemen last year were we'd occasionally pull Nick Gates on a tackle trap type play, but we were so horrendous at blocking the front side of that play um, that it, it got scrapped pretty early on. Before we put the, you know, close the book on O-line talk, because, folks, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we've been talking almost exclusively offensive line for almost a half hour. And if that's not a Nebraska podcast, I don't know what is because I don't think they're talking this much offensive line, you know, talk it, uh, on the Mizzou podcast. I, I wouldn't know. I don't listen to Mizzou podcasts. Ugh. But anyway. They're probably uh, talking about the, the, the like 2003, 2005, 2007, 2008, you know. They're probably talking about the big win they had over the uh, the mighty – uh, Idaho Vandals a couple weeks ago. They might be oh, talking. Man. They, they are such a powerhouse. <laughs> They're actually going dropping down from FBS to FCS. Just so Yikes. Missouri fans, you can you know put your feather in your cap on that one. Or, or I'm sure they beat UConn last week. I don't know, uh, but man, I I bet when they beat Idaho State, I bet the porn shops and the fireworks stands in <laughs> Columbia. I bet business was booming. Uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, I like that. Um, so we know Michael Decker is is out uh, and will miss the remainder of the season. Tanner Farmer will will he be back in the lineup? I, I've not heard any medical reports or, or you know player injury reports. Is he is he set to set to be back? I don't think so. Okay. I I want to say last I heard I was listening to the radio this morning. When I was at work and I was reading you know online. I want to say that it's going to be Farniak starting at right guard, which is. You know, he, he's got some some game, you know, under him. You know, he's seen he's seen some the field of battle uh a little bit. So and again, I know you were very high on him uh at again, fall camp and beginning of the year and very bright future, I think, for Farniak, so Oh absolutely. And you know, the I was reading that the coaches project him better at guard long term in his career. So that works out, you know. They're getting, I get, you know, well, it's never ideal to be in this situation. It's like, all right, here we go. You know, here's, you know, a chance to give him some live game reps, get him used to it. And then, um, you know, he's still getting used to the spa- kind of the spatial awareness, you know, playing right guard because, you know, even though you're sliding just three feet over to your left from the right tackle spot he was at earlier in the year before he got hurt. It's such a different thing, you know, having help on both sides. And, you know, what you're asked to do and what gaps you're asked to protect, you know, and pass protection. So um, I know Tweedy, he, you know, Facebook messaged me during the game last week about Farniak, and I responded with the spatial awareness. And he was, you know, trying to crack a joke about <laughs> how I was referring to an offensive lineman as if they were a toddler, still trying to, you know, find their spatial awareness but it's true you know it's any spot on that offensive line it it's a matter of you know acclimating to this you know spatial awareness of that spot and as we close the the book now on the o-line talk um by the way uh, offensive lineman farniak and gates guys we appreciate what you're doing but get a haircut i mean is that uh, all right moving on that's just that. I couldn't. Ima- I couldn't imagine playing with long hair. No, that would, that would drive me nuts. I, I mean, even having like lifting long or lifting weights with long hair would drive me nuts. I, fifteen years ago, you know, when I was considerably younger, about fifteen years, if you want to be exact, uh, you know, I had like visions of being cool and being at rock concerts with long hair and you know headbanging and having the the main going backward and forward but then reality sets in and like my hair back at the on my neck does this uh like weird curly thing and about that time i i just gotta go i gotta cut it so there i've never had long hair i'll never have long hair i don't understand it look that's me listeners that's me if you got long hair great you do you you do you i'm just saying there's a reason 
that uh, the NFL created the rule that, that essentially treated pulling the hair like a horse collar tackle because Troy mm-hmm. Polamalu would always intercept passes and run them back, and guys would, you know, trying to make the tackle would pull his hair. That can't feel good. Oh, hell no. That can't feel hell good to no. be, be horse collar tackled by your hair. Um, you know, I had the, I remember when I was in junior high, I wanted to grow out my hair long. And I'd reached the point that it kind of start going from shaggy to actually being long. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that you were talking about, Greg. It'd start curling yeah. under in the back. So I, I've never done it. I am a uh, one on the sides and, you know, a little bit length up top to style it if need be. But, yeah, I'm not, I, I can't do the long hair. So now that we've got that tangent uh, done and over with, uh, let's return to last Saturday. Uh, Sounds good. Both teams entered uh, three and four. Nebraska, of course, gets the win uh, as Tanner Lee just, you know, did did some amazing uh, fourth quarter specifically, but really second half uh, did did some amazing stuff. Uh, Nebraska was trailing 14-6 at half. Uh, they were down 17-12 to after three. And then it got to be twenty four to twelve, and then Tanner Lee kind of took over and says, "You know what? Uh, Nebraska fans hate me. There's a chance the media hates me too. I'm gonna, you know, tell them where they can stick it, and I'm gonna win this game." And he, I saw a, the Tanner Lee that, you know, we were promised. Mm-hmm. I that's the Tanner Lee that I saw in the last say uh you know especially 15 minutes but probably last about 20 minutes of, of of that game last Saturday night. Oh, absolutely. I mean the throws he was making, you know, off his back foot, sidearm uh which we don't advise. You, you, don't, you don't want them to have to resort to that, you know, or you're okay with having to resort to that as long as it's not what they're, you know, usually doing, i.e. Tommy, i.e. Joe Daly. Taylor. Oh. Uh, yeah, the, the, but, um, the back foot YOLO you know, bombs. If, go ahead. That, the the throw off the back foot YOLO bombs. Oh God! Oh, those took years off my life. <laughs> he but, he, um, he was crisp and efficient. That's what I liked about it the most. Exactly. You know, it's like if you got to throw the ball sidearm to you know fit it into a receiver, do what you got to do. If you got to throw off your back foot because. A 330-pound grizzly bear named Lorenzo Neal Jr. is up in your grill. Do what you got to do. Just, you know, it's not your normal passing mechanics or situation. But, yeah, I mean, it was crisp. He knew where he was going with the ball. There were a few, you know, pretty spectacular catches that bailed him out, you know. I mean, but you see that with any quarterback, you know. And then Purdue just totally biffed it on, you know, covering our tailbacks out of the backfield late in the game. And I liked it, especially on that, that game-winning drive uh, where you're out of timeouts. Um, by the way, credit to the defense because if you don't get that stop, you you know, the offense doesn't get the opportunity. Um, but what I liked seeing from uh, the backs, from the receivers, and I think even uh, uh, big tight end uh, Hoppus was, man, they, they had some field awareness. They knew – even coming across the field on a slant, I'm just going to keep running straight. I'm not going to turn it upfield. I'm going to keep running straight because there's the sideline, and that's how I'm going to stop the clock. That's how I'm going to help the team. It might have taken a hit in the stats column, but you know that where it mat, you know where we like to say where it matters most, uh, the final score. They were able to help out the team, uh, and we just saw. I mean, we saw a. Re- J.D. Spielman did real good. Stanley Morgan with the, the game-winning catch uh, was, uh, I mean, we we pick him apart quite a bit because sometimes his hands are made of stone. But, man, sometimes he gets a little bit of that stick him on there and makes some phenomenal grabs. And uh, and that wasn't, wasn't even a, a tricky catch to make. I mean, they just – he just kind of caught it and, and ran in. But – Tanner Lee was putting the ball on point. Uh, if a Husker couldn't get to it, what I liked, what I liked seeing was that if a, if a guy wearing a you know a white jersey couldn't make the play, he made sure Tanner Lee made sure that that ball was going to be uncatchable, which we haven't always seen 
both from Tanner mm-hmm. Lee and, and quarterbacks before. I mean, they're going to try to force it in, and that's how we get, you know, so many, you know, interceptions and whatnot. But I, I thought that he, you know, I thought that he had a hell of a hell of a fourth quarter. Yeah, I, that was basically a virtuoso performance. Uh, no, absolutely no support from the running game. Uh, no support from his pa- pass protection. And he goes out there and, you know, he goes 64% for 431 yards. And that was, it was a hell of a performance. And it was one that, honestly, I think, you know, the fan, the entire fan base would agree. It snuck up on us, that performance. You know, he, he had been improving steadily since, you know, the NIU loss. But that first half was so ugly for Nebraska against Purdue that by game's end where it's kind of like, oh, wow, you know, that's the stat line he had. I think everyone kind of was taken aback a little bit. It was, to me, it was the kind of performance that has the potential to change the narrative of Tanner Lee at Nebraska. Um, Absolutely. He, man, you know, you talk about no help from the offensive line. He was throwing the ball, and, and some of them, you know, were tipped. Sometimes his arm got knocked away. Um, but he was throwing the ball knowing that he's going to get hit. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that takes a big pair of cojones to stand in there. Yep. I couldn't do it, you know. I'll oh, be like, dink, hell you know. <laughs> but, like I, God, the, the, just the prospect of – I used to always bitch about quarterbacks being so highly paid in the NFL – the prospect of being a QB and standing back there with 11 guys across from you who just want to rip your head off, in my opinion, they don't get paid enough. I can think of one who, who gets paid too much, um, but that's because Kodak helps keep them funded. Um, that's a Tom Brady Spygate joke. Oh. Yeah, Sorry. Sure. For a second, I was like, you know, as a <laughs> as a Chiefs fan, first and foremost, I was like, well, he's not he's not talking crap about Alex Smith. No, 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 no one talks crap about him Poor unless Alex they're Smith. joking about how he can't throw the ball downfield last year. Yeah, but he, yeah, that's that's another, you know. Sorry. No, I, I'm just I'm very much anti Tom Brady, so that's all. Um, and you know, pa- I like Patriots I like New England, but yeah, I'm just I'm not a big Brady guy. So, um, but anyway, no. Tanner Lee with, with with the way he if he can play that clean and I'm not talking about his uniform uh, but if he can you know throw the ball as you know the rest of the season as well as he did last Saturday night I I continue to like Nebraska's you know odds going forward it, can you believe this we have four games left we are two thirds away through the college football season for Nebraska. Um, they need two games to go bowling. They're, you know, at the end of the month, you know, let's just work backwards here. Day after Thanksgiving, we know that's Iowa. Week before that, they're at Penn State. Week before that, on the 11th, on Veterans Day, uh, they are at Minnesota. But later tonight, or I should say later today, because it's an afternoon game, home field against Northwestern. And this is, I mean, this is a unique Northwestern team as well because I haven't been following up on them all that much. I don't know what to expect from Northwestern, but I know that when Northwestern and Nebraska get together, Hoss, it, it's we've seen some some heartbreak. We've seen some insanity. Uh, you know, we saw the birth of Westercatch hashtag Westercatch four years yep. ago uh, in Lincoln. Uh, so it, anything can happen. And and that's why we we talk about Wisconsin, we talk about Iowa, but I think Northwestern has a, a chance to slide in there from time to time as a as a division rival. What do you think? Yeah, I would say that based on on field play, I think Northwestern's more of a rival than anyone else in the division. The games are always you know they have that weirdness to them, and it's it's happened organically too. I mean, who would have foresaw when we joined the Big Ten that the first year in the conference they would beat us and then, you know, it would kind of set off that chain of events where every game has been just wild and weird and like the twilight zone against them. You know, especially 
the home team has only won once in this series, and that was the year of Westerkamp's uh, catch on the Hail Mary in 2013. So th- this has the start of an organic rivalry, in my opinion. We've gone – I hate to, to uh, shortchange Northwestern, um, but since we talked so much about the offensive line, we're, we're probably going to because we're, we're approaching that time. Uh, how do you see this one going? I mean, I don't – like I said a moment ago, I'm not that familiar with the Wildcats. I know what I've seen from the Huskers, and I know what the Huskers can be. Do you think it's going to be running back by committee for the Huskers tomorrow? Or, uh, you know, I say tomorrow because we're recording this Friday night. Later today, uh, you know, at the game, is, are we going to see all three? Do you think that Jalen Bradley, who, by the way, had, had him when nothing else was going in the running game, uh, he came mm-hmm. in, the true freshman, and, and, you know, at least provided a spark, uh, provided something different. Um, do you think he, he earned a spot in that rotation, or do you think they're going to lean a little bit more on a Zigbo and – uh, Mikhail Wilbon. Well, I think had uh, Bradley not gotten that, that sprained ankle, he definitely would have been earned some playing time. But with the sprained ankle holding him out, I think we'll see you know good rotation of Wilbon and Zigbo. Um, as for how the game's going to go, it's going to be weird and wild. <laughs> We're not going to be able to run the ball with our O O line and the personnel. Um, coincidentally, they have a top 20 rushing defense, but they have the 119th ranked passing defense. Well, we threw the ball pretty well last week, so I envision it'll be a little bit of an air raid flavor, you know, down there on, you know, 10th street. So, uh, I think this is going to be a game like, I don't know, like 37, 31, like maybe even higher scoring, maybe like 41, 38. You, I, I think, I think that the defense could, you know, has, has real big potential to show up, show out mm-hmm. because they've got skunked twice in a row at home. In fact, uh, see, their last win at home was against Rutgers. So yeah, over a month ago, uh, and that was against Rutgers. You know, so I think I think that the defense is going to show out, and I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska wins by three scores I would love nothing more because I absolutely despise the Northwestern game because just the inherent weirdness of it so a nice convincing home win against Northwestern would be fantastic and then it's Valentino's and runs us for everyone yep yep it's it's Mardi Gras on the plains (laughs) Uh, Haas as always uh, that's that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us by the time we get to the predictions when you talk in a half hour about the offensive line you really don't have much room for anything else uh so Haas as always man I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us uh, folks don't realize that Haas is a, a young good-looking dude who could be out you know with with his friends at, at the bar having a couple of cold ones at the bar, I mean, over overpriced cold ones, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, could be could be spending time with a, a lady in his life. Uh, but he's hanging out on a Friday evening with me, recording this podcast for you. If that doesn't, you know, speak to the type of guy that Hoss is, I I don't know because that's you know what I'm I'm gonna right here, man. Right, you're, you're the man, Hoss. Uh, I appreciate the time that that you give every week. Uh, to myself and to the listeners of the Five Heart Podcast, and uh, I hope you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a pull a Hank Williams reference, and I hope your your a single tear <laughs> is falling into your beer into your Coors Banquet uh, because you know this is man this this is heartfelt stuff right here. Well, I mean, you know, it's at no, I'm gonna be 27 <laughs> later this month. And uh, being a college student at 27 years old, Friday nights have progressed from when I was in my early 20s at going out and, you know, hanging out with friends and, you know, painting the town to I get off work in, you know, the early afternoon and I come home and do homework and eat some dinner and watch some Friday night college football, do some more homework, do the podcast and uh, usually watch some film, you know, some, you know, football game, you know, later on afterwards and 
Yeah, aside from school and work and football, I don't have many hobbies. Football is my hobby. <laughs> uh, football's your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I when Mike Tomlin said that quote one time, I was just like, "Yep, that's yeah." That's when I realized I'm a football guy. Well, I do appreciate it, buddy, um, and, and thank you for spending some time. Uh, sometimes we record Wednesdays. Sometimes we record. Th- it's going to be crazy when Thanksgiving week rolls around. You better uh, book some time. Yeah, we're- on- on Tuesday, uh, you know Wednesday. I think Wednesday that week I have nothing going on, no class, no work. So we'll find Wednesday. out. I've got I've got people driving up from Louisville, Kentucky, Wednesday after they get off work. So we, we <laughs> I don't know if that'll work or not. Tuesday, oh, we'll, we'll figure out a way because we got to uh, we got to have a nice uh, just talking trash on Iowa podcast. Yeah, you know what? If ever there was a time to be thankful for the Big Red Cobcast and uh, and get those guys on the show just to help trash talk Iowa, that would be it. We might have to have a four-person, three- to two-time zone conversation, three-state, two-time zone, uh, and see if we can get Pat and, and Tweety on. I don't know. That that's that would be fantastic. It would be. I'm but pretty I sure that someone from Iowa would probably interpret that as an act of war <laughs> for how much <laughs> shit we'd be talking on them. Oh, that'd be fantastic, though. The, the, it would be great. I don't know if my my internet could handle. You know, I don't know if Skype can handle four different you know lines coming together. I don't know. I, I'm have to. I'm gonna have to test the system between now and then. But uh, uh, in the meantime, hey, we've got we, we don't have to worry about Iowa yet. Uh, those pansies are a few weeks away. Uh, we've got Northwestern later today. Big Ten Network two thirty uh, live from Memorial Stadium. Uh, I'll be watching. Hoss will be watching. You going to the game? Oh, hello. What was that? You going to the game? No, no. Even though tickets were dirt cheap, I thought. Well, I've been to three games this year. I'm going to. Uh... We enjoy watching the game on TV with, you know, some ice-cold Coors banquets. You enjoy your ice-cold Coors banquets. I will have uh, uh, wrapped up uh, a lunch with the in-laws at, at Golden Corral. That'll be fun. Uh, and and uh, then I'm going to come home and watch some football. So we'll we'll have a, a great time go. with it. Uh, this, this sign-off has lasted almost as long as that offensive line talk. Uh, let's get the hell out of here. Uh, All right. I'm Greg Mahochko. He's Hoss Reuter. This is the Five Heart Podcast reminding you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn game. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. 